Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen-Watt, and in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is Ron Malhotra, an award-winning financial advisor, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and self-development author. He's the CEO of Ron Malhotra International and the managing director of a leading wealth management firm. Welcome to the show, Ron. Super excited to have you on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'd love it if you can give our audience some background on you and journey you've been through to get to where you are and some of the stuff that you're working on these days. Yeah, that, that's always one the, the hardest part because just labeling what I do and putting myself in a category is always hard. But I guess if I had to, because I've done a few podcasts and I had to become good at answering this question, uh, my standard response now is if somebody says, you know, who are you? What do you do? I say, well, I, I, I say I, in my spirit, I'm a teacher. And um, some people may say I'm a, I'm a speaker or I'm an author or I'm a, um, an entrepreneur uh, I find them to be a little bit restrictive in regards to what I do. I think I just have a real passion for teaching. Um, I have built businesses in the area of consulting, advisory training, but again, I just consider them to be forms of teaching. Um, I guess the next question, obviously, then a natural progression from that question would be, yeah, what do you teach? Um, and, you know, the, I guess the, I start with the with the question, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And I think it's the problem of indoctrination. That's really what the problem that we're trying to solve is, uh, a broad level of indoctrination across the world. Uh, and we are trying to solve that by providing solutions that improve people's EQ, IQ, SQ, which is a spiritual quotient, and MQ, which is the money quotient. Uh, and uh, kind of working in the space of integrating the physical and the spiritual so that they can they can optimize their outcomes both in the physical world as well as in the creative and imaginative world. Um, I, I know it can sound a bit es- esoteric, but my background is actually in financial services and wealth management. I have a, you know, a business that I've had in that uh, for many years, um, but recently kind of ventured into uh, more training, which I think is a just a natural progression of anybody that feels that they have solved a significant problem for themselves. I think the natural progression from there for a lot of people is if I've done it, uh, let me show other people how to do it. And so that's where I'm at. I like that. I think um, I resonate with that as well around teaching and and you know for me it was uh, first working with clients in a healthcare setting and then it's uh, evolved into working with. Uh, small business owners who are health professionals and sort of natural segue. I'm now, I'm now teaching what I learned in that process for me. And then now as a father, I'm teaching my kids and I'm teaching myself and we sort of all sort of go, go through these, these evolutions and uh, sort of what we talked about pre-show and what, you know, I'd love to hear your opinion on is that 
indoctrination starts to really sort of insidiously affect uh, our trajectories. How would you define indoctrination from your standpoint? How do you see it sort of begin to, has it manifest? Well, I think I think I wasn't even aware of this topic up until a few years ago, um, and I think in the last, especially in the last two and a half years, I have really become uh, very interested in it, uh, based on what we're observing around the world, which is a a standard groupthink-based response uh, to certain global events. Um, but really, I think I've always, uh, having a background in the corporate world, I always. Um, found that there was something wrong in the way people thought, um, almost like they didn't really practice independent and autonomous thinking. And uh, they there was a more like this uh, pressure to um, accept certain social norms, cultural norms, organizational norms without really thinking for oneself. Always had an issue with it. I was pretty much labeled a troublemaker at school. Um, and then even in corporate, I struggled to help hold on, hold down jobs because um, I realized that any type of individual expression, um, any displays of individual personality, um, any curiosity beyond the obvious was a, a behavior that was discouraged in the institutions. Um, so I think it was only natural that at some point I was going to become an entrepreneur because I wanted the ability to be able to think freely, question things. Um, experiment with things uh, before deciding on what I should do for myself. Uh, I was born in the Indian culture. Um, Indian culture is a very strong culture. Uh, it has uh, deep-rooted traditions, beliefs, uh, and there is a significant emphasis on academic education and professional education because India is predominantly a country that, uh, you know, for the vast majority of people, they've suffered from lack of financial resources. So, there's always been this assumption that if you want to break through and you want to break out of poverty, you need to be a person who is well-educated uh, as society defines it. And then you've got to somehow land a, a good corporate position. Uh, and that's your pathway to success and fulfillment. Um, so obviously, growing up in India, that pressure was on me as well. Uh, you know, you've got to do well at school and you've got to get some sort of a degree and then you've got to try and get a good job. Um, except that um, even as a child, I started to make observations that the vast majority of people who were preaching that themselves did not have the life and lifestyle that I wanted to emulate. I did not really have uh, autonomy of time, uh, did not really have the lifestyle that I wanted to emulate, did not have the health, did not have the personality so as a, as a young child, I guess somewhere in me, I always questioned things and was starting to be perceived as quite rebellious in a, in a society where conformity is the norm. Uh, and then obviously, once I moved to the Western world, uh, I felt that there would be a, um, you know, that there'd be a lot more room for individual expression. But I actually realized that that's not the case either. Um, I, I did find that a lot of people were victims of cultural indoctrination and but couldn't see it. Um, I, I could see that a lot of people in the corporate world would not question things. Uh, and I started to realize that it was not confined to a specific country or culture. Indoctrination, uh, which is basically a form of brainwashing, is possible. Uh, and, and people who are extremely intelligent, cunning, politically savvy and strategic, uh, have emotional tools through which they can indoctrinate anybody. So I, I really got interested in this 
um, and uh, resisted any attempts of indoctrination once I became aware because I wanted to think for myself. So, um, and as we know, a few years ago, it's, it, it's always considered an act of rebellion to not uh, conform to groupthink. But I think it, 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 what's encouraging now is that more and more people are questioning things. Now, I certainly don't advocate being becoming rebellious for the sake of becoming rebellious. That's not what this is about. It's just about before you take on any kind of narrative and an opinion on board, uh, I, do you really dissect it? Do you analyze it? Do you question it before you embrace it? And that's really the whole idea of indoctrination. Uh, given that I have a passion for teaching, I feel it's an obligation on me to uh, be as close to the truth as possible. Uh, and that's not going to be possible if, I'm, if I cannot identify indoctrination myself. So that's why being a free-minded and free-spirited person is ex extremely important for the integrity of the work that we do. It's interesting because there's definitely a, a line uh, that we would have to sort of uh, go between where on one side we should be questioning because questioning creates innovation and challenges norms and, and often improves us. And on the same side, you've got how do we organize, you know, people and to, to function together uh, to, for a common outcome. And, and then on, on the other side, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that uh, may not have the capacity to question in a way that has critical thinking because processing of the information, knowing how to, to analyze and, and then questioning too much can open us all, but especially more vulnerable groups to, to information that's not, uh, you know, "Quote unquote true, etc." How should one think about questioning uh, and being a free thinker, uh, while also we all have uh, things that we just follow? Like, I think part of it is like having an awareness that we are all followers in some regard to some things. But how do we how do we navigate that for ourselves? Do you think? Well, exactly right. I, I don't think we can always eliminate indoctrination, and some indoctrination may even be conducive to being able to live a, a well-balanced life. Um, the question really is, is the indoctrination uh, improving your life or it's stifling your life? Um, and you're right, it's not an easy balance to get right because we need authority, we need government, we need rules, uh, we need institutions, we need uh, policies, we need mandates, uh, otherwise society would run into anarchy. Uh, so that's important. Um, however, a blind adoption of policies, mandates, rules, without uh, going through a process of critical thinking can result in what I call the zombification of society, where uh, you, know, you just do what you're told and you don't question it, and you do not examine the, uh, the, the hidden consequences of what you're doing. I, I, I do believe that as human beings, because we have the capability to think we have to develop that capability. I mean, none of us are born with it. Um, you know, when we, we don't really question things when we're growing up until up until the age of seven or 10, we pretty much act on what culture tells us and what teachers tell us and what parents tell us. Um, but I, I think there comes a point where if you, you've got, everyone's got to make observations and go, is this really working for me? Is this really working for the world? Uh, if it's not really working, should I at least question it perhaps before, before adopting it? Otherwise, there's not much difference between us and animals. I mean, you know, um, if we are so easily brainwashed, uh, then that would that would really suggest that we are not using any of the intellectual capabilities that we've been given. Uh, 
So I kind of see it as an obligation. I must question things. And the question really is, what is the truth? And it's increasingly harder to get to the truth because um, it could be argued that so much of what happens through politics, happens through media, and what happens through educational institutions is heavily controlled and curated. Um, and we're given some sort of a narrative. Now, overall, if that narrative results in a well-functioning society with less incidents of depression, anxiety, less incidents of violence, um, if it results in better, more fulfilled citizens, if it results in more productive citizens, if it results in people being more self-sufficient, uh, more fulfilled, uh, with better family structures, then I suppose the indoctrination is working. And so the question we really got to ask ourselves is, in the modern day society, are we really evolving as uh, more fulfilled? Uh, are we more capable of critical analysis? Are we more productive? Are we more self-sufficient? Are we happier? Uh, do we know how to regulate our emotions? Do we know how to regulate our relationships? Um, and I think any, if anyone dares to really investigate these things on close investigation, you'll actually find that that's not really happening. As a society, we're not really improving. Um, I heard recently that in the 20th century alone, humans have killed more humans than the previous 19th centuries put together. Um, according to one report, the World Health Organization is saying that the leading cause of disability now is depression uh, and anxiety, which would suggest that the vast majority of people don't have the tools to be able to regulate their emotions and their thoughts. Um, when we look at statistics around money, uh, we are starting to see that uh, the number of people globally that are millionaires is under 15 million out of 7.8 billion. That's not even 1% of people that are millionaires globally. And why is it important to be a millionaire? Well, because if you don't want to be reliant on your family or the government to support yourself at retirement, you better have some money in your bank account. When it comes to relationship, we're seeing globally, we're seeing that there is more conflict and there is more uh, incidence of divorce is increasing. Uh, so when we really look at what is happening globally as a society, uh, I think, I mean, I my conclusion is that technology is improving, but the human condition in many cases isn't. So, so then it begs the question, well, what is the root cause of that? If we have more people that are now educated than ever before, uh, compared to the hunter and gatherer age or the agricultural economy or the industrial revolution or the information age, if you have more people today that have gone done some sort of education, why is it that we are not evolving and progressing as a society? Only technology is, but the human mind isn't. At that point, you start to ask yourself, is there something wrong with the education? And that's when you start to look at potential signs of indoctrination in the education. As an example, as I researched more and more into this, I realized that the vast majority of people that I have had the opportunity to mentor over the years uh, would be considered to be accomplished professionals, executives, entrepreneurs. The vast majority of them don't know who they are. They don't have any sense of their internal identity. They don't know their purpose, their passion, their values, their strengths. They don't know their zone of genius. They don't know their mission. They don't have personal goals that are meaningful and relevant. So how did we get to this point of 16 years of education, don't know anything about ourselves, don't even understand our own psychology, don't understand our emotions, don't understand our energetic signature. Second part that I realized is after having mentored thousands of entrepreneurs, executives, and professionals over the years is that the vast majority of them don't understand how the, the business world, the economic world, and the financial world works. 
I mean, isn't that the whole idea why you get educated is so you can make a decent living? Well, you don't understand how the money game works. You're in the money game. You have income, you have expense taxes. You've been thrown in the game and you don't understand how the game works. I mean, can you imagine playing any sport, cricket, tennis, being thrown into a game, not knowing how to read the scoreboard, not understanding the rules of the game? How can you win? And the third element I recognized through my through observational analysis over the years of mentoring a lot of entrepreneurs and executives and, and professionals was that the vast majority of them did not understand their own energetic nature. They did not understand the true nature of spirituality. They did not understand the importance of wisdom and courage. They did not understand their creative nature because all of that kind of falls into the spiritual realm. So really what I kind of, I concluded from that, that the vast majority of people who've gone through our education system and spend anywhere from 16 to 20 years or whatever it is, or 12 to 20 years in the education system, the vast majority of them did not, had not discovered who they are and did not really understand the human condition. The vast majority of them did not understand how money, economics, and business works. And the vast majority of them did not understand how their own creative and spiritual nature works. I consider these three elements to be in, in, integral to a, a human being's development and fulfillment. So how come they're not a part of our educational curriculums? Have they, did we just make a mistake and not incorporate them in our education system or were they deliberately taken out of the education? It, I, it's just a question, right? But, but I think we have to, here we are in 2022, we really got to start to ask ourselves, has our education system really worked? Has it produced uh, generations of accomplished, fulfilled, well-balanced individuals who contribute to society, or it hasn't? That's the question. As a, as a uh, person who's gone through that process myself, um, and then having more awareness now of what I want, and especially now having uh, two young boys, is I'm realizing more and more that especially through schooling is the purpose of it is not for us to become uh, sort of well adapted and be able to handle life. It's setting us up to be employable. Uh, and then through university, same thing. Uh, and so when I look at my kids, I'm very reluctant to put them through standard schooling. And even the conversations that I have with them now, one's three and you know, one's one. And uh, it's it's about broadening perspectives and having self-awareness. What are we feeling? Um, you know, what happened in the situation when you wanted to hit? What were you feeling? All these things to bring that self-awareness because it wasn't something that, that I learned until, you know, later in life. I'm only 30, but, you know, uh, early, mid-20s. And um, realizing that without that self-awareness, you can't, you can't know what you want. And if you don't know what you want, you have no directions. So you don't know what problems to solve for. And in a really sort of pragmatic way and, and what I do with my clients is you've got to know where you are and you've got to know where you're going to go. And only then can you line up the path and understand the obstacles in your way. And we're not set for that. Ask most people that question. I know that I found it personally hard to do when I first got into it. It's like, what do I want? It's like, holy crap. I don't know. I want a million dollars. Why do you want a million dollars? I don't know. If I'm rich, life will be better. And we go through these, these weird sort of, you know, ideas. And I think that we, we, the biggest thing I notice myself is always looking external rather than internal first. And I think that, uh, you know, often we hear in, in the media that social media is bad and blah, blah, blah. And I think that all of this is just really what's going on now, especially from my eyes, is a reflection of us looking outward first instead of looking 
inward and having a self-awareness. And so we just go into this perpetual cycle um, of measuring our lives by other people's uh, levels and not our own. And it leads us to, to not having any idea of what we should be doing. And therefore, we use all the wrong tools. We try and get money or we use substance or relationships, et cetera, to solve problems that really could be solved if we, if we looked inward. I'm a little bit careful about because I have. I mean, there's a new, a whole new culture of, um, you know, we had once upon a time in the '80s, we had this whole culture of greed is good, and it was all about being competitive and winning and performing. I think the pendulum swung too far on the other side now, where it's about, oh, you know, we don't need to have money. Money is not important. It's about happiness, and it's all about how you feel. And I think they're they're two both dangerous extremes. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. For me, it's the integration of as I was saying, a person's got to have the inner identity. They've got to master themselves. They've got to discover themselves and master themselves. That's, a, that's not an easy endeavor. But, they've got to, but there is a case for the fact that because the world, our world structure is economic in nature, there is an obligation on still mastering some elements of the ec- economy and the money financial world, not because money is important in itself, but because money is a tool that will allow you to live a dignified life and give you some sort of uh, control over your over your life. Uh, and so I think it's still, I mean, healthcare is expensive. Mentorship, education is expensive. Uh, spending time with your family requires money. So I think we have to also be careful from my perspective. I've seen a whole generation of people who believe they're doing the right thing by attacking um, success and wealth and achievement and productivity. They think that they're doing the right thing. And they, I, I believe that they they have the right intentions but I don't think it's an honorable stance to have a perspective that is not practical at all. I mean, the reality is, for me to become a holistic individual, I need to have my—I need to know what my inner identity is. But I also need to value the external identity through which I connect with the world: my occupation, my accomplishments, my ability to manage money, my ability to manage people, my ability to perform. Those are also important, and we have to be careful not to dismiss one side because this is always what happens. We First, we go on one. We 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 go on one far left, and then we go to the far right, uh, and we we're not very good at integrating things. And the reason I believe this is because I have understood this, I have applied it, and I've seen what it's done to my life and the lives of the people that I have mentored. And I really believe that the secret is in in understanding how to integrate the workings of the physical world and the workings of the energetic world, and and work with them together rather than denying any of those elements. I think it's delusional to deny one and go, well, it's not important. Um, because, uh, you know, I have seen personally, I mean, been in, the, been, been in the wealth industry for about 20 years. In 20 years, you start to really see firsthand the impact of people not having sufficient financial resources. Okay. Uh, I've never seen anyone that can be happy without having some sufficient financial resources because they can't afford things like being spending time with my grandchildren. I can't because I need to work, right? I can't live close to my grandchildren because I can't afford housing where they live. I can't afford the medical treatment that I need because it's expensive. Those types of things take your happiness away. So I think we also have to be careful uh, that in a pursuit, in, in, in this pursuit of being more evolved in spiritual human beings, that we end up denying the physical realities and the physical challenges of life. Uh, the challenge is how to integrate both. And, and, that's been, and that's been difficult and especially difficult to explain, as you can imagine. Um, so I'm a little bit skeptical, skeptical about some of the new age spirituality stuff that comes out, which is all about feeling good, uh, but not really taking care of your responsibilities and obligations. Um, I'm very conscious of 
I can see how that can be quite deceptive and I can, can lead to um, a lot of self-delusion. So it's about, I, I get, and, and the next statement that I make probably describes my goal is to, and I tell this to all my mentees, how do I have my feet firmly on the ground and my head, my, have my heads up in the cloud at the same time? Be realistic, but also be a visionary, right? How do you do the both? How do you do both? You have to be very careful, not just be have your head up in the clouds, but not your feet on the ground. You've got to be able to balance both. Uh, that's not easy, but I, th- I think just the awareness that that's what we need, where we need to be, um, can do wonders uh, when it comes to decision making. Something that um, that I found myself was. Uh, those of us who are very interested in the the challenge, the growth that comes with business and making money, almost like it's a game. And I think of it like a game. When we would, I would come up against people who would always question why I work so hard. Why do you need more of this? Why do you need more of that? Without being able to have the understanding that maybe it's something that's fulfilling or is my own journey, just like I might question why you're not. And for me, I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, the two most important things that, well, shall I say up there, important things that I want to instill into my children is that you, the, the, the skills you need to, to master is people and communication and money, what it does, how it works, how to use it to help people, how to use it to have a better life, how to use it to create experiences. Because those two things are, very, very important tools. If I am a terrible communicator, can't get my point across, can't relate to people, can't build rapport, can't build relationships, then life's going to be very difficult because life is more enjoyable with the right people around you and you can achieve a lot more with the right people around you. And having no skills and money means you're going to have a very hard time and you're going to be very reliant on everybody else. That's not to say, hey, you should go out there and just you know, sell your soul and make all this money and, and never live a good life. But again, who's to judge necessarily, right? I think that where it becomes an issue is when people aren't, and we come back to it, self-aware around what they enjoy and what drives them. Like I am, I would prefer to do work. Like if I have downtime, downtime for me is I get my laptop out and I get into projects and I get into what my team's up to and I think about things that I can create and do because there's enjoyment in it. Someone else might play video games. Someone else might do mountain biking. And I like a bit of that but I'm going to get into business. I'm looking forward to Mondays. And I think the self-awareness for me came in finding, you know, I don't like the word balance, but a balance in not obsessing where it becomes destructive. And that's what I found for myself is that if my behaviors are supportive to, you know, my lifestyle and the people around me that I want to have around me, and it's not destructive to that, then I'm going to go all in on what is quote unquote, make me feel good and, and being positive or being very aware of the things that are important. And there is this almost, like you said, there's almost this, uh, if you focus so heavily on business, the pendulum is swung that way that or making money that it's not good. And people mistake that actually it's the one tool that it can solve the most number of problems and uh, create a lot of benefit and joy uh, in your life and can you know, it's it's something that too many of us don't understand properly, but we're all at the mercy of, uh, you know, the various markets. Yeah, I mean, there is an optimum point of career success. And we asked ourselves this question, what is the optimum point of career success? And it's where your purpose, which is what you were born to do, your passion, which is what you love to do, 
comes together to solve somebody else's problem. Because it's not just about having, uh, you know, having romantically falling in love with the idea of running after your passion, but it's really about where the magic happens is when you use your purpose and passion to solve somebody else's problem for a profit. That that way, the four things intersect. So you can imagine four circles intersecting. Purpose circle, passion circle, problem circle, profit circle. That is the optimum point. That's the sweet spot. Okay? Not only are you doing work that's obviously meaningful to you because you, um, you know, it's in alignment with your purpose and passion, but you're not just doing it to self-serve, which is where the problem portion comes in. And the profit portion comes in, which demonstrates your commercial acumen and your understanding of the fact that you've got to add value to people, but you've got to add value to people in a way that doesn't take value away from you and your family. And very few people ever even think on those lines. And, and certainly even fewer people ever reach that point where they, are, they, can, they can claim that they've got to that point in their life where they've identified with clarity what their purpose and passion is, nurtured that sufficiently to develop a skill set that solves somebody else's problem for a profit so that they are creating economic and financial means for themselves for their future. Um, this notion that money is not important is so dangerous. It is so dangerous because people are not aware of the reality. And the reality is this. In the Western world, you are expected, your average life expectancy for a female can be anywhere from 86 to 90. That's the average. For a male, it might be 85 to 88, uh, with a lot of people living beyond that. Now, the, it begs the question, if most people are going to end up stopping work at 60 or 65, uh, either because they'll be forced uh, into retirement, it may be because of voluntary redundancies, it may be because of an illness or injury, it may be because they have to look after a sick spouse, how the hell are they going to support themselves for 25 to 35 years if they have not created sufficient financial reserves? So this pursuit of wealth is not greed. It is the most responsible thing to do. And therefore, if you apply that logic, logic, those who are not prioritizing financial wealth are actually irresponsible because they are going to become a liability on their families and on the government. So how is that honorable? How the hell and when the hell did we attach this honor to poverty and not being self-sufficient? And we attach these negative connotations to self-sufficiency and performance. I, I just feel like there are so many people now that are misguided. And this is the problem. This is what happens when we end up adopting a culture where we go after elements that make us feel good. Because the risk with that is anything that gives us this feel-good thing right now, it, it, it's just a feeling. It's not necessarily embedded in the truth. So I came up with a, a, a statement recently, which I tweeted. And the statement was, that the pursuit of truth is a far greater spiritual quest than the pursuit of peace. And I really strongly believe that. Because if you're just seeking peace and feel good, you're all about you and your self-preservation. If you're seeking the truth, you actually care about the world and humanity. Therefore, that's a more spiritual endeavor. Let's see what's happened in the Western world. In the Western world, we have deluded people into thinking that, hey, as long as you're happy, and your truth is met, everything's fine. No, no, excuse me. What happens when your truth and my truth collide? 
whose truth should prevail now? You can't allow people to make up their truths. And I keep saying to people, it's up to us to identify, are there a universal set of truths that have logical consistency, empirical evidence, and universality of application? And it's our, respons- our responsibility to find out what those truths are, rather than make up our own truths. As I keep saying to people, you're allowed to feel whatever you want, but you're not allowed to make up your own facts. Otherwise, there's going to be chaos in society. And that's what we're seeing right now. Everybody's deciding for themselves, oh, but it's your truth. I get this so many times and I get so frustrated and I go, did it ever occur to you that what I'm saying to you right now is not an opinion and is actually passed the test of truth? Why do you always assume that anything that I say is an opinion and what anything? Because there is your truth, there is my truth, and there is the truth. To, to, to imply that every truth is subjective is a very dangerous point of view which is going to result in an extremely chaotic world because we'll never agree on what that universal standard of truth should be. So once upon a time, we had a universal standard of decency and etiquette and principles and the vast majority of the Western world agreed on it. Today, we don't because we are allowed to make up our own truths. The conflict with that is going to be incredible because we can't agree now on anything. And why should we? Because we all we make up our truth based on how we feel now. So this is the issue, and I and I, I this concerns me a lot. This is probably my greatest concern, and I and I'm not surprised at the level of chaos that we're seeing in the world and the level of division that we're seeing, because we can attribute that to recent events. But I have been concerned about it for a number of years because I can see the root cause is going to be the fact that we can no longer agree on a universal set of truths. And now that we can't agree, we will make up our truths based on how we feel. And because feelings are fleeting and they change minute to minute and hour to hour, we're going to have a tough time on being able to get along and make things happen together. And the, and the new age spirituality has added a lot of value to the world by helping us understand our energetic nature. You know, I think it's it's been tremendously, it's made a very positive contribution in providing people with a level of self-esteem and an understanding of their energetic signature. However, it's also created a generation of self-delusional people who think that they can just build self-esteem without earning it. So I think, I think we, and that's the danger for me now. It's, you know, you know, so everyone's important now. Everyone's a winner now. So why there is no where is the incentive for a person to take risks and try to, things to be innovative or disruptive when everybody is the same all the time? Right, so here is what here is the statement that I came up with. Spiritually, we're all the same, but psychologically, we're not. Some of us have developed our IQs and EQs more than others. And so what I started to do, and this, and some people will say, you know, Ron, you're sounding judgmental. Well, the reality is we have to make judgments in life. You, you, can't, you can't decipher right from wrong, bad people from good people. And there are things, there are bad people in the world. Not, you can't just say everybody's a good person. So for me, it was like, okay, if you really had to start, to, if you had to, if you had to, not that I want to, but if you had to divide people into different quadrants, it could be argued that a lot of people have low EQ and low IQ meaning that they're not really performers, they're not really productive, they're not really achievers, they cannot really solve problems. But at the same time, they don't know how to connect with people. They don't know how to influence people. They don't know how to persuade people. So we would consider them to be in the category of low EQ and low IQ. 
it's not a natural characteristic. We have to develop it. You're not born with, you can develop IQ and EQ. You're just choosing not to. The second category of people, would, I would say people have high EQ and low IQ. These are people who are very good at getting along with people, being very likable. But when it comes to productivity, performance, task, accomplishment, they fail. They can't get shit done, basically. Think of the third category of people, high EQ, low IQ. These are the, sorry, going back to the second category again, a lot of entertainers fall in that category. They may not be very intelligent, but they're very good at connecting with people and persuading people and influencing people. Third category is high IQ and low EQ. This is where we get a lot of indoctrinated professionals. They're very good at getting the job done. They're extremely successful as considered by society because they have been able to amass financial resources and being able to gain positions and gain authority in life through positional power. But when it comes to connecting with people, caring for people, uplifting people, they fail miserably. And then you have the fourth category, which is the category that I've always aspired to be in. How can I become a high IQ and high EQ person? How can I be the type of person who is extremely productive and high performer, get things done, but at the same time, I can connect with people, Right. And I can persuade people and I can influence people in a positive way and I can contribute to people. So what we're doing today is we are giving everybody, we are telling people that, hey, even if you never develop your EQ and IQ, you are the same as this person who has spent the last 15 years developing his IQ and EQ or her IQ and EQ. You're the same. You add the same value to the world. No, you don't. This person potentially puts more into the world than they take. This person takes more than they put in. How can you equate that? And I think in a pursuit of equality, we have forgotten the concept of equity. So I just find that the world is extremely confused. And then on top of that, so many people have so much ego where they don't even like being corrected anymore, but to their own detriment, because they're going to make poor decisions from this place. If they cannot make distinctions in life, they're very likely going to continue to make poor decisions in their life, which is only going to impact them adversely. Right. And it's a difficult conversation to have, as you can imagine. You know, this is not something you can talk to everybody about. Most people would not even comprehend the nature of this conversation or find it to be too intense. Why is it this intense? Is why, this you know is, I mean? It's intense because it's challenging and I would like to live in my bubble. This is where we need to to be open to looking at where we're getting our information from and who's around us and and avoiding groupthink. People are because of the 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 movement around everything's being taken as offensive, meaning that I'm going to spend time around people that conform to my set of views and create a groupthink situation where I'm confirmation where biased. I feel good. Where I'm, if you make me feel good, I'll hang out with you. If you don't make me feel good, I'm not going to like you and I'll be offended. That's where the world is. The, the, the way that I see it is if I'm the uh, dumbest person in the room or I'm the the brokest person in the room or the unhappiest person in the room, I've got a choice. I can either sort my shit out and get better in whichever category and in, in whichever room, or I can leave the room and find a room where I am uh, equal to or higher than and make myself feel good. And I learned that whatever I, whatever's going to help me grow is on the other side of discomfort and challenge. And so if I'm the person in the room who's, I almost feel that I maybe don't fit in this room because there's a bunch of people who are very happy and I'm not or very wealthy and I'm not. I try to stay in that 
room by providing value in another way that gets me to stay there so I can absorb and learn and grow and step up because it's only through them will I actually get anywhere. I can't learn about how to make money from my broke friends. I can't learn how to have a good marriage from my divorced friends. I can learn what not to do, but there's a million things that you shouldn't do, but there's only, you know, a handful that you do need to do and you, and you win, right? Um, and I think that too many of us, and I see this in, uh, with, with my clients and, and in my organization is people are very afraid of making the wrong decision, that they fail to make any progress towards the right decision. Uh, and that holds a lot of people back, I think, as well. And that, and that by the way, is a symptom of low EQ. Because that's really what low EQ is about. It's about not having the self-awareness to know that you're making a decision based on emotion rather than rational thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's a failure of EQ, right? A low, and that's, and, but EQ, look, I wasn't, I had very low EQ and low IQ for, um, I'd say, for the majority of my life. It's not something that we, because, and this is why I'm not so, I guess, accommodating towards people who choose not to develop it because I see the fact that I've made a choice to develop it has uh, allowed me to make better decisions. Um, and, and thinking is hard work, you know, especially when you, your whole beliefs are, ch- you know, when I've, so many times my beliefs have been challenged. I've been, I've, I looked in the mirror and I've had to face the reality of the fact that I am very poor at making decisions. I've had, I've had to look at myself, confront myself and go, uh, you idiot. It's not an easy thing to do, right? But if I didn't, don't do it, what, what, I'm, being, I'm being extremely egotistical. My feelings are more important to me than growth because I refuse to confront the reality that's in front of me. Hey, Ron, you don't have money in your bank account. You don't have the job that you like. You don't have the relationships that you like. You're not inspired by what you do. You're not, you don't have the health and vitality that you would like. Hmm, Ron, have you ever considered the fact that you just not very smart at making decisions. Hmm. That's, that's the day things start changing, right? But until you deny that because you want to continue to preserve your feel-good factor, you can't change. You're locking yourself in into that, the situation that you're in. I, I don't, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's the first step to change. And you've got to be brutal with yourself. You know, um, in a world that is now constantly promoting feel-good all the time to the point where we are creating self, self-delusional self lunatics who just don't want to confront and deal with reality, um, you know, we have to be very... And that's why I said it's a far greater spiritual quest to go after the truth than to go after peace. So the question obviously becomes, how do you find the truth? Well, this is, the, this is what I have been doing. This is what I've been teaching people. Anytime you hear an opinion or any type of narrative, first question you got to ask yourself is, where is it coming from? Does the person or the organization, are they an organized group with the vested interest? That's the number one question we've got to ask ourselves. Is there potential for the individual or the organization to have a vested interest because of which they're promoting an opinion or narrative? That's the first question we've got to ask ourselves. The higher the probability that there is a vested interest and it's an organized group, the higher the probability that it's not going to be the truth. Okay, not saying that that's definitely the case, but there's a probability that there's a correlation. The higher the vested interest, the higher the, the organized group, the less likely it is that they're going to give you the truth. Okay, second question is, is it logically consistent? And, and for that, we have to go, okay, here is a narrative coming from this side. On this side are people that agree with this as well. 
So the, on people, like for example, in the world of money, there's a lot of opinions. You have fund managers saying one thing, but then you also have successful investors who are self-directed saying the same thing. Now you're seeing logical consistency. Okay, these two groups are at odds with each other, but they're saying the same thing. That's more likely to be the truth. If it's only coming from here, but the other group is saying, no, that's not the case, it, it increases the probability that that's a lie or it's not 100% truth. There is not accuracy in that truth. Third, then you look for empirical evidence. You look at observational data, you look at research, you look at peer-reviewed studies from all sides, not just from that side, from that side as well. Then you look at you know, universality of application. I mean, how many people from different backgrounds, different occupations, different age groups have applied this and got consistent outcomes? Obviously, if a diverse group of people who are not connected with each other are all saying the same thing and they've all got the same outcome, then it must be the truth, right? Now, this is what I call critical evaluation. Who does it? Nobody does it. And the, here is the problem now. These people are, end up holding the most prominent positions in our judiciary, in our medical system, in our financial system, in our political system. And because the vast majority of people do not apply any critical evaluation, the lies are fed continually or distorted truths are fed continually, which then permeate the culture and become a permanent part of it. And then it's a, it was just an opinion that became a belief that then became culture. And now it's passed on from generation to generation and now it's become tradition. Nobody questions it. You know, it was... Your quadrants, to jump in there, if you look at the quadrants that you talked about, there's disproportionately more uh, that don't have both EQ and IQ uh, and either have one or the other or none. Um, and from a political standpoint, your primary outcome is to remain in power. And, to, and so what you're going to tend towards is not necessarily pure truth-seeking, uh, but instead things that... Uh, enable maintenance of the power structure, I would assume, right? So um, if it's going to get me votes, I'm more inclined to because the vested interest, uh, you know, sway. And if the majority of people are not in that position to be able to assess it in that way, the system becomes uh, designed around what uh, people feel, like we said, but don't necessarily have the capability to analyze and therefore we're all voting for things that don't actually support us. Correct. And the whole time you could be virtue signaling, thinking that you're doing the right thing, but have no awareness that what you're actually doing is detrimental to you and society and humanity. That's the dangerous point, right? The individual actually genuinely believes that they're doing good, or whilst the whole time they're doing bad things that have a detrimental effect. And we've seen this right throughout history and so many examples of it. If people were to study history, you'll see that some of the worst atrocities were carried out not just by evil, manipulative people, but people who just blindly conformed without questioning and thought the whole time thought that they were doing something moral and ethical. Now, it is very possible for a person to be... So, uh, for example, I would argue that a lot of our world leaders who have significant influence and power have high EQ and high IQ, but if they're not using it for the benefit of humanity, then I would say that they have a low ethical and moral compass. So whilst they've really developed themselves um, from an IQ and EQ perspective, they don't really value a place for ethics and morals, which means that they're using their high EQ and EQ for the control and domination of others rather than the benefit of others. 
So that's the third element that comes into play then, right? So it is complex. I mean, the average person wants to deal with simple black and white rules so that they can make sense out of the world. But unfortunately, majority of things in the world are highly nuanced. And it's, it places an obligation for us to investigate research. And I think that's why podcasts like yours are an important tool to get those insights out so people are at least becoming aware of a, a, a new level of thinking. And I don't say this with, you know, I don't say this with any arrogance because I'm the first one to admit my own indoctrination for so many years and my own ego. And I think the worst combination is when you have arrogance and ignorance where, you know, at least if you've really accomplished something over a long period of time and you've benefited the world, you have some right to remain confident and be convicted about what you're saying. But the worst combination is when you don't actually have any results in life or you have very minimal results in life. So you're basically ignorant, but then you have this arrogance where you want to preserve your identity and your stance, even though you really don't have much to show for it. And that's where I used to be once upon a time with a low developed IQ and EQ. And then, um, you know, and so I, so it's not like I'm being hard on people. I mean, I had to be very hard on myself, but I also know that that being hard on yourself and temporarily having to take that humble pie and not feel good about yourself actually ends up resulting in a lot more wisdom down the track because you prioritize facts over feelings. And that's why I'm such an, a big advocate of people not just buying into this whole feeling bullshit, excuse my language, but really questioning themselves and going, do I have an obligation to my feelings more than I have an obligation to the truth? Just asking that question, right? And then having some sort of a process to get closer to the truth. Yeah. Um, I'd love it if you can leave us with, with something that we can, we can take away. And I ask this question to, to everyone. I'd love to know what's, uh, what's the most important thing that you ever learned? Well, I think, I mean, there's a lot of things that I've learned that are very important, but I think for me, the thing that has been uh, absolutely transformational personally is an understanding of my own electromagnetic signature, understanding the energetic dimension of what it means to be a human. Everybody understands the physical and psychological dimension of what it means to be a human. We understand we've got a body and a mind, but I don't think we really understand what goes beyond the mind and the body. And that is what I call the energetic dimension of what it means to be a human being. Uh, I really strongly believe that most of my outcomes in my life have not come from my intellect, but they've come from my ability to be able to download intelligence that is not even a part of my experience. Even now, as I speak, sometimes I, you know, after these conversations, sometimes I go and I go, what the hell did I even say? I don't even remember what I said. Where did it come from? You know, and they, I would say that there is, there is some sort of a divine force that works through all of us. Uh, the, the thing, though, is we can block the flow of that divine force. And how do we block that? Well, the more we hold lies, the more we hold on to erroneous beliefs, and the more we are at conflict within ourselves, the more we block the divine flow. So the most important thing for, my, for me I have learned is that the truth may not make me feel comfortable but it's going to get me closer to the source of divine insights. And so therefore, I must continue to do it. And the way I've done that is by questioning everything, not holding on to lies, checking whether I, what I believe is a lie, not holding on to limiting and erroneous beliefs, and making sure that I'm not in conflict within myself, that who I am and what I want are in alignment. 
So if I want this, making sure that my identity, my inner identity is not in conflict with what I want. The more I do that, the more I find that my ability to download intuitive insights, my ability to be able to identify sources of wisdom, my ability to be able to get premonitions beforehand, my ability to become highly creative and imaginative, all of that is gradually improving over a period of time by practicing those principles. Um, I would assume that with the depth of knowledge and the depth of insights and the types of topics that you're picking, my assumption would be that your audience is at a level of thinking where they're going to understand this. Because, you know, I would, I would imagine that if you're having these deep conversations, your audience, the type of audience that you're attracting are the type of people who are seeking answers. And I would hope that what I've said, um, I mean, you can go into a lot of detail about this, but what I hopefully, everyone's had glimpses into their own magnificence. Everyone's had glimpses into their own genius from time to time, but you can become a lot more frequent and deliberate with that if you understand your energetic signature. So that would be the most important learning for my life. And it's, you know, it's just changed. And you start seeing things from a different vantage point. You start seeing things before others see, you start things, you start seeing more than others see. Um, and I just want, I think it's a great place to be. And I think when people start to experience that, it changes their whole life because they realize how powerful they are. I resonate with that a lot. Uh, I find that myself realizing more and more the, the power that I have to create influence, uh, in my life without necessarily being able to correlate that directly to something in particular. And so that kind of, uh, verbalized it well for me, Look, this has been an incredible uh, incredible episode and interview and I appreciate you coming on the show where can our audience follow you online and see what you're up to thank you James and I appreciate you not pigeonholing me and asking me to give you the five tips to something or three tips to something I hate those types of interviews so I'm glad that you've just let it flow freely and we've just had a nice conversation I appreciate you you listening so intently and contributing to the conversation thank you for having me on is there anywhere that uh, people can have a look more at your stuff Got a website or or social media I think um, the best place to connect connect with me is um, LinkedIn. Um, I use inter- Instagram more as a branding platform than anything else, but um, I, I connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you are interested in the topic of indoctrination, uh, just stay in touch, send me a message. Um, as the book is released, um, I'll advise people. And uh, if they really want to look into what indoctrination is, how it's caused, and how to unindoctrinate or reindoctrinate themselves uh, with positive ideas, um, then you may want to check out the book. The book is called Indoctrinated, How the Conventional Education System Perpetuates Mediocrity, Conformity, and Indistinguishability. Incredible. Thank you so much. You take care, my friend. Thank you so much, James. Appreciate it. Thank you for checking out this episode. If you liked it, please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you're a healthcare professional who wants to get serious about business, check out practiceowner.com where we have a whole lot of resources on helping you to grow more impactful and more financially viable practices. So that's practiceowner.com. Go and check that out if you're a health professional serious about business and don't forget to subscribe.